Hey, everybody. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is the, ready? I'm going to give you a drum roll. Katie Couric. I am so excited for you to hear this interview that we did. She is hilarious. Uh, Nothing was off limits, and it was great to hear her story, and we laughed a lot. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Superwomen. So I'm going to pinch myself because I'm sitting with the Katie Couric right now. Um, I'm sitting with the Rebecca Minkoff. (laughs) So, well, I think it's different. I think I grew up watching you. I know. I hate when people say that, though. Well, I don't really mind. But but a lot of times people my own age will say, I grew up watching you. I'm like, wait a second. You did not. (laughs) You're the same age. age." (laughs) It makes them feel better, but that's okay. And uh, But it's actually really, really sweet, Rebecca, because now, especially young women in their 20s, they came come up to me all the time and say, you were such an important part of my childhood. Totally. You know, my mom and I watched you every morning. It was a way for us to bond. Yeah. And it's really sweet because one of the reasons, I, I wouldn't say the primary reason, but an important reason I got into television news as I moved, uh, you know, up the ladder was that I wanted to make sure that I was a strong female role model. Yeah. And the fact that now young women in their 20s and sometimes 30s, but usually in their 20s, say that I influenced who they felt they were and who they could be in the world is so gratifying. And I really didn't let you even do your introduction. So I'm sorry. That's fine. <laughs> I don't have a I don't have a pre-planned anything here. Okay. So there's not going to be an introduction. <laughs> okay, good. Sorry. I'm just like Bleh! no, but what I think you influenced me in that you asked questions that would like make my stomach cringe sometimes as you know, and that shows a fearlessness and a bravery. And so then when you when Growing up, when I would ask for things that seemed scary, I'm like, if Katie can ask that question to him on national television, you know, I, can ask, you know, I can ask for a raise. I, I think that's a little bit easier, you know? <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day because I'm writing a book about my life. So I'm thinking about like different experiences I had. And sometimes I look back and I do wonder, where did I get the chutzpah right? or the moxie, as my dad would always say that I had moxie, which I love that word, to kind of go there with certain people and to, you know, speak truth to power and all that stuff. And I think I felt such a responsibility and obligation to ask important, serious questions and to challenge people. But, you know, it did sometimes get a little uncomfortable, honestly. And I got some pushback. I was thinking about, you know, when I I did an interview with Condi Rice and I asked her something about Russia because she had been, uh, you know, she's a Russian scholar. And I remember getting pushback from the GE executives and the NBC executives that I had been, you know, too confrontational and that they had gotten a lot of complaints about it. You know, it's such a strange balance when you're doing a morning show because you have to be warm and welcoming and people have to feel comfortable, you know, when they're putting on their makeup or getting dressed in the morning. Yeah. And yet we really tried to make the Today Show a very serious news show too. So it was always kind of this balance between being nice and being tough. Totally. And I think that's a challenge as an entrepreneur or as someone who's going out in their own business. You're constantly dealing with that. At least I am. Yeah. So I'd love to talk about your entrepreneurship. I think we're all familiar with your previous career. But I, I want to talk about your entrepreneurship <laughs> too, but, but can, can I ask you one question before yeah. we dive into yeah. mine? You and I had coffee a couple of months ago, and I'm so 
so impressed and proud of you that you jumped on sort of the female founder uh, or that you really initiated this female founder seal of approval to let people know because it's it's so important. And I think that increasingly there's such a close relationship with consumers and what they're getting from whomever that they want to know who's behind the curtain. They want to know who they're supporting and who they're helping in, you know, helping in business. So I know your listeners probably know this, but can you just (laughs) breathe? Katie has turned into the interviewer. Everyone, she's taken over. Because I'm so proud of you. And and just why you got this idea. And then I'm not going to ask you any more questions after that. Okay, fine. I'll answer. I'll answer your question. Um, I started it because I felt like there was no way for a consumer to support a female-founded company or even know how. Or even know if it was. Or even know if it was. Like, we don't all have our names as our companies. And there's amazing you know, companies out out there, Health Aid Kombucha, I talk about them all the time, Uh, Away Luggage, you know, these big, huge brands that were founded by women. And so I think it was a way for consumers to support it um, and not just have us all talk ad nauseum about if 20 more women in C-suite positions were all paid $20 million, the pay gap would would equal out, right? Right. Because they were using an average. So this would really be about a grassroots support of women and let's make that 80 cents a dollar that way. That's so great. Yeah. And how many and so you basically have a seal that people use to indicate and to basically communicate. A, has that been effective? And B, how many female founder companies have you embraced or have have I guess subscribe to this. How is that? How does it become work? members? Um, we have over five thousand at this point, and wow. it's on two and a half million products to date. That is so awesome. Yeah, and then probably by the end of this year, it'll be on over like three and a half million products because once it's on, you know, on all my packaging, for instance, it's however many I sell that you see it, or Lola tampons, or or who else is using it. So, so cool. Yeah, and we have bigger people planned. Ha <laughs> ha. Take World that, domination. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had too much coffee, by the way. Oh my God, I wish I had that much coffee. (laughs) So what's happening in your life? Let's just start there. You are becoming truly, you're going back to startup days. I am. It's so crazy, but it's really fun. Can I ask you what about it? You know, you left or you, you know, you stopped doing your day to day and were you bored or you felt like you want to do something totally different? And you I said, think it was kind of a natural evolution of my career okay. because I worked in, I started out at ABC, then CNN, then I worked in local news. Then Tim Russer saw me chasing Marion Barry around when he was mayor of Washington and involved in some pretty shady things and asked me to be the deputy Pentagon correspondent from that. I went to the Today Show, did that 15 years, went to CBS, did that five years, did a syndicated talk show for two years, which was challenging but fun. And then I went to Yahoo because I'm actually really interested. I try to take the big picture look at media and I see how it's changing. And instead of kind of holding on to uh, a traditional, the way it's done traditionally, and just uh, staying and doing what I'm doing, I've always tried to evolve and learn and kind of explore different things and take risks. So I worked at Yahoo for five years when they hired Bobby Brown and David Pogue and all these other names because they wanted to create original content. But the problem was, I don't think they really understood original content because they're a tech company. right? And I don't think 
that was sort of where their head was at. So I enjoyed my time there. We had a great team and I did some really interesting things, but it wasn't a place that I don't think cared about content creation that much. They were really, uh, you know, the pipes. They didn't want to be the stuff going through the pipes, but they had some pretty significant pipes. And I think they could have built something really, really exciting and impressive, but that just wasn't where they were at at that point. So when I was done with Yahoo, I did a six hour series for National Geographic exploring big social issues like political correctness on college campuses, Confederate statues, what it's like to be a Muslim in America, white anxiety, white working class anxiety, gender inequality in Hollywood and Silicon Valley. And I love doing that, but it was an enormous amount of traveling and a very ambitious project. So when I was done with that, I thought, hmm, what can I do now? And I thought, well, I'd like to use everything I've learned professionally And I'd like to be my own boss, pick my own projects, but how do I make that work? So I started, wait for it, Katie Couric Media, how original. (laughs) Uh, I'm taking suggestions to change the name of the company, but everyone said to me, you know, people know who you are, so you should take advantage of that. But I feel sort of like, oh, really? But Moxie was taken damn it, because that would have been the perfect name because that's what my dad used to always tell me I had. But I started it about a year ago and my husband, John, said, the only way I'm ever going to see you is if I work with you. Wow. So I thought, oh, that's probably true because I really love to work. I just, I like being productive. Yeah. And so John, thank goodness, because he is so smart. He was um, a partner of Brown Brothers Harriman and he's really a really smart businessman. So he started the company with me and it handles a lot of the business side of the company. And, you know, he writes letters to, you know, to investors and we really mostly self-financed, but we have some sort of friends and family investors. And Bill Konigsberg, who started Horizon Media, is a personal investor. And so um, basically, in a nutshell, we've hired about I think 17 people now. Wow. And we work out of Horizon Media. And I'm working with brands that care about the world, I think in a nutshell, because purpose-driven brands are are sort of required in many ways today for a couple of reasons. Externally facing, consumers care about that, ergo what you're doing. Yeah. And they want to support brands that they believe have their heart in the right place. Meanwhile, employees, specifically millennials, want to work for companies that they feel have a higher purpose, that it's not just about selling dishwasher soap or shampoo. It's about actually making the world a better place. So as a result, and then this Edelman Trust Barometer, which I often cite, shows 78% of employees expect their CEOs to take a position on thorny social issues. So what, what is happening at the simultaneously is people are losing faith in the government, in media, sadly, and in sort of institutions. And companies are actually filling the void. So I thought, I love to tell stories. I like to tackle big, important issues. I like to educate people. It's a natural thing for me. That's what I've done my whole career. How can I 
work with these companies, be editorially independent. I'm not shilling for for a brand. Well, thank God for that. You know, <laughs> and how can I really tackle some of the issues they care about, whether it's environmental sustainability or gender equality or, you know, criminal justice reform or the power of mentorship, all these things that I think are really important. I think people are craving that kind of information. I just did an interview with John Legend on how do you raise a boy to be a good man, to respect women, to share the workload at home. And so I interviewed John about it because he was raised in large part by his dad when his mom ran into some trouble uh, with drugs and the law and was absent uh, f- for a chunk of his childhood. And what values did his dad impart on him? And actually, it was his mom who really taught her kids to be independent and how to do their own laundry, how to, you know, take care of themselves. So naturally, he and Chrissy have a very egalitarian relationship. Now, of course, you know, I'm sure they have a lot of help, but just his, you know, his his lens is through equality at home and a lot of respect of what she does and what she brings to the table. So in this era of Me Too, which is so important how do we also help men along and not make them feel totally marginalized and and demonized totally. as a result of a really important movement that's going on? Agreed. I was at a meeting last week where someone's like, maybe we can have a shame scale on companies that are not equal. And I was like, no, that, I don't think the shame scale is going to work. Yeah. I it's going to make people run. Let's like help people out and give them a chance, give them a warning. Right. You know? And also give them support and maybe yeah. give them guidance. Totally. And uh, I'm on the advisory board of an organization called See Her, which is, I think, 80 companies that are devoted to gender equality and want to improve the way girls and women are portrayed in the media. Yep. And their philosophy is we don't embarrass or shame anyone. We want to support people. We want to give positive feedback for the people who are doing right and help them along. So I think you're right. But there, look, I mean, there's so many things to talk about in terms of, you know, I want to, I'm doing a series on mentors and young women who can look to trailblazers who really inspired them in various fields. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that with with Procter & Gamble and Olay specifically. And, you know, we're doing, I did a series called Getting There, and that was profiling like Bozema St. John and Bethany Frankel and uh, Eva Chen, and just trying to understand their career paths to, to, to inspire other young women. Yep. And I did something with SK2, where I went to Asia to talk about the changing role of of marriage. There's a lot of marriage pressure, particularly in Asian countries. And this new generation of young women in, I went to South Korea, Japan, and China, are rejecting that. They're saying, we're not looking for someone to complete us. We want to complete ourselves first. And if we're not married by 30, you may call us a leftover, but we're happy with who we are. So it's just really interesting kind of anthropological, sociological trends that they examine. And and it's basically women should control their own destiny. Totally. What's been an unexpected challenge being your own boss and starting from scratch? I think finding great people yeah. is, is, is hard. You know, I interviewed Ina for that aforementioned getting their series. And I thought she, she's, she was interesting. I said, what advice would you have? I think I must have asked her about hiring, 
or what? And she said, I hire happy people because you can teach someone about cheese, but you can't teach them to be happy. It's so true. I used to try and make everyone happy in my office. I would have like office hours therapy, come cry with me or whatever. Come cry with me. <laughs> let's cry. Let's cry away. And I was like, I can't make everybody happy. They're not, if they're not personally fulfilled, they'll be miserable at the office, whether, no matter what we do, no matter yeah. how many days off or whatever. And that was like freeing to be like, you're not a happy person. You're going to bring that unhappiness here. Right. And I think, you know, I mean, listen, what is happy? Like Prince Charles said, what is love? I mean, but I do think you want to find people who have positive energy. Totally. A real go-for-it attitude, who are willing to stay, who, you know, you can tell when someone really likes what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it, that I think, that's been a little bit of a challenge, but I have a great group of people we've assembled. And so I think... I think I've learned a lot in that process. You know, the company's just a year old, so wow. it's not like we've been around that much. But um, I would say that. I would also say, you know, I'm the kind of person, Rebecca, who says yes to everything, and I get so excited. So I have a million irons in the fire. And I think sometimes trying to do too much is is really challenging. And I had lunch with the Warby Parker guys, and they said, focus on one thing. Yeah. But of course, I'm focused on a thousand things. I'm but right I'm, there I with am you. I am trying though really hard. We have a newsletter called Wake Up Call that is in people's inbox every morning, and we I both curate the news, make it sort of understandable for people, and then we do original content. In fact, I need to interview you for like Monday Motivation. We talked to female founders. Heidi Zach from Third Love is featured oh, today, cool. and then we have an inspiring story at the end. It's sponsored by Sleep Number, and we do stories about, you know, sleep and all that. So how do you sign up for it? You just, well, we have a really easy way. You can dial 474-747, text it, and then just write Katie, and then it's the sign up right there. You can go to my Instagram. Uh, I'm a total Instagram freak, <laughs> and um, you can sign up there as well. But we have a team doing that. So that's one aspect. And Ally Financial is one of our sponsors. We have all these founding sponsors, Rally Health, um, P&G. I have a very close relationship with P&G and Sleep Number. And we're talking to a lot of other companies and we're doing digital series for them. I'm working on a couple of documentaries and I do a lot of speaking engagements. So I really get to pick and choose what I'm doing. And I think the newsletter satisfies my desire to kind of have that daily presence in people's lives, which I used to have for so long on television. Totally. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So right before we started recording, we were talking about getting older. Uh, yeah. And you posted something recently that got a lot of comments. About- yeah. It was sort of in response to that uh, face app, right, yeah. where pe- people were making themselves older, which I thought was humorous and kind of fun to see. And, you know, I'm 62. And basically, I was saying it's really the last ism that is socially acceptable, right? I mean, sexism, racism, you know, homophobia, which is an ism, but it's a, you know, aya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I posted this picture and I said, hey, I'm 62. I'm fine with it. I'm proud of the age I am, what I've learned, how I'm living my life. And I feel that I have as much energy as I had when I was 38. So I think it was just basically a reality check for people who, you know, sometimes, by the way, I do get bummed out. Like, I'm like, shit, I'm on the back nine. And that really (laughs) sucks because I love what I do. I love my life. I mean, all that stuff. I love my kids and I have the best husband and my friends and my work. So you're like, wow, you know, it, it is a little weird when you feel like, there's a lot of stuff in your your rearview mirror. Right. But, you know, I also have a husband who died at 42 and a sister who died at 54. And I also think, listen, we are so lucky to age. And I say 60 is the new 60, right? It's not the new 30. It's embrace who you are, how old you are, what you're doing, stay engaged, and you know, I, I just feel like we need to sort of recalibrate the way we look at older people. For example, people used to always say to me, your dad is so cute. And they sort of infantilize older people sometimes. And I said, my dad isn't cute. My dad is brilliant and accomplished and erudite, and he's not cute. And it's amazing how much we, of uh, the vernacular, toward aging is sort of along those lines. I did a podcast. I'm relaunching my podcast in the fall. And I did a podcast on ageism. And it's just so interesting to look at it and and talk about it. My podcast, I think, is going to be really good. What's it called? It's called, not Katie Craig. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Next Question. I love that. And you're interviewing all everything, like you have a specific lane. So this time, I did one with my good friend, Brian Goldsmith who lives in LA. So he's not going to be doing it with me this time, although I might have him as a special guest because he's a political genius. He's so smart and I adore him. But it's really this time, I think that the connective tissue for the last podcast, I mean, one day we'd be interviewing Busy Phillips about her book and the next week we'd be interviewing Frank Luntz about the election. I mean, it was sort of all over the place. Um, which I think some people really liked and I liked, but this time we're doing big issues. I know it sounds boring when you're like, ah, what do you mean big issues? For example, 
were doing pornography and how it's shaping young men and leading to unwanted or violent sex uh, with with women because it's so ubiquitous and so accessible that you just have to Google something and you will have hardcore porn, which more, more often than not is showing a lot of violence towards women choking. And it's it's really, I mean, this podcast is so graphic. I hope people can handle it. But it's, uh, there was a survey that showed a quarter of American women are afraid during sex. Wow. So we we kind of look at that and what can we do about it? And and so I'd like to I like to take a closer look at things that are happening because our our society is transforming so quickly with technology. And I think sometimes we're not realizing the impact of these seismic shifts until much later. Yeah. I just watched The Great Hack and at the end oh, of I it. Oh, I saw it. Yeah. Like with saying we'll never have a, nor- a democracy, a true democracy ever again. And that scared the you know what out of me. I oh, should yeah. I can say shit out of me because we swear on here. But You know, that's such a good documentary. I went to it. I was at Cannes working uh, because of this new company I have. And I, I went to a screening and some friends of mine did that documentary. And, you know, we're so complacent and what we give up in terms of our privacy for convenience I think it's so much the norm that people don't even think about it. But I thought they did a really good job. I wish they had gone a little bit more into the whole Julian Assange yeah. and how that impacted the election. It's really more about just what happens, right, with your information. Yeah. And I, it's so needed because I think people don't think about it. Yeah. It made me want to get a flip phone. Right. Or like the the bumblebee phone, you know, the phone, the phone for quote unquote older people. It's like the letters are exaggerated and that's all there is. Like, Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so like people who have trouble seeing can see these huge numbers and Ooh. that's all there is. Wow. Yeah. I may have to get one of those <laughs> pretty soon. <laughs> but, but I do think, I mean, don't you notice you'll be talking about someone? I know that there's not somebody listening on the other end, but doesn't it feel like it sometimes? I'll see, I'll be talking about something or... I'll be talking about doing a story with someone and all of a sudden their Instagram pops up, pops up. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. Not to scare everybody, but my friend was uh, in HR at a company that was like, you buy this video game console. When you turn it on, there's people in China that are transcribing everything you say and do. And I was like, cool. We're definitely being listened to. I don't have that video game console. I know, but still, I, I mean, it's messed up. It, it is. I know. Both of us, I think, recommend The Great Hack because yes. it's really, it's very eye-opening. And they did a good job because it's not the easiest thing to illustrate in a film. I do want to also talk about, you mentioned your husband passed when he was 42, and you were how old at the time? 41. And you had two young daughters. Six and two. Holy shit. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, emerging from that, like the the who you contacted for strength or where you found that? And then you, I know you started a charity based on that. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about sure. that? Sure. Gosh. Sorry. Who did I, who did I contact for strength? Or where did Everyone. you- I mean, I think I had, Jay came from a big, close family. He was one of seven, big Irish Catholic. My family's very close, so my parents were incredible. Jay's parents and siblings and my siblings were awesome and supportive. Um, You know, I think I had, I have really, really good friends who have been my friends for a very long time, growing up and college and early days of my career. 
Um, so I'm I'm really lucky that way. And, uh, you know, it was hell. What can I say? It was just horrendous. You know, you just, you somehow get through it. I have a really good friend who just lost her husband in a car accident. And that happened in, in a matter of minutes. And, you know, I was, we were talking about losing someone after a long illness versus, you know, in an instant violent way. And both are terrible and both have their own challenges, obviously. But, um, you know, Jay was sick for nine months and that was really, 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 really hard. Yeah. And I'm writing a lot about this now and about how I dealt with it and how he dealt with it and how I wish I had dealt with it and not really having a conversation about the fact that he might die. Like we never really went there. Wow. And for a whole host of reasons that now I really regret. Uh, I don't think it would have changed anything, but I don't know. It was sort of always the elephant in the room. Right. So after he died, I, I started doing a lot of work with colon cancer awareness and did that colonoscopy on television um, and, and raised money to support colon cancer research because the drug Jay went on had been used since the 1950s. And there had been really very little new drugs developed for metastatic colon cancer because he was stage four when he was diagnosed. It was all over his liver. So I did that. And and that was, I think, healing and cathartic in some ways because, you know, you feel so powerless. Right. If anybody listening has been in this situation when someone they deeply love is sick and they're a can-do person, you know, a problem solver, it doesn't matter, right. really, right. you know, and to feel powerless is really hard. So I think to take some of that power back and try to help other people, empowering them to get screened so they wouldn't have to go through this was, I think, really, really helpful for me. And then eventually I started an organization with uh, eight other women called Stand Up to Cancer with Sherry Lansing and Laura Ziskin, who has since passed away from breast cancer and Lisa Paulson from the Entertainment Industry Foundation and uh, a number of other remarkable women in marketing and in PR. Um, and we said, this isn't working. You know, we have all these huge events for a tsunami and for 9-11 as we should, but a person dies every minute of cancer. And yet we need, we need to support the scientists and put this on the front burner. So we started Stand Up to Cancer and we've raised over $600 million Holy for shit. research and for these dream teams where the scientists collaborate instead of compete. And they share their information and their wisdom and their clinical trials. And it's just now there we've contributed to the FDA approval of six new cancer drugs. So I think I think it's making a difference and it's just a way of saying, you know, we're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. And we want to we want to put our foot on the gas pedal and we want to come up with better treatments that will help people manage their cancer as like a chronic disease or hopefully at some point cure it all together. Wow, that's amazing. Leave it to eight, 
angry women. You said right? eight of you, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Hell hath no fury like uh, women who are pissed off about <laughs> cancer research. So totally. it's it's really quite remarkable. And it makes me think of that Margaret Mead quote, which I always botch, never doubt the ability of a few concerned citizens to change the world. Indeed, yep. it's the only thing that ever has. That's true. And to to build something from scratch and to really support these heroes in cancer research. Um, you know, it's it's really, I'm very, very proud of that accomplishment. That's amazing. Well, thank you. You're welcome. For doing that. <laughs> I have two questions I like to ask all my guests. One thing we would be surprised to know about you, personal, professional. Hmm. I sometimes say I'm scared of zombies, but I've, I've used play, that one before. I play the piano by ear, but a lot of wow. people who follow me on Instagram know that. Okay. So I play everything in the key of C and I've always been able to do it. And it's a really weird kind of idiot savant thing That's where amazing. I can just sit down and figure out. I mean, if it has a lot of sharps or flats I, or and it's really a complicated melody, it's hard for me to do. But most songs I can really just figure out. It's this really weird, like I hear it in my brain and it just kind of trans, transfers into my hands. It's amazing. Um, I took piano for 10 years, but... I still really mostly just sit down and play by ear. And how about this? I'm a really big slob. No way. Yes. I'm like Pigpen. I mean, <laughs> I, he follows me There's around. There's messy and dirty, though. No, I'm not dirty. You're just messy. I'm just messy. It's I am not same. dirty. I'm Maybe very occasionally messy. I'm dirty. But I mean, I just, he says, ugh. The tornado has arrived. <laughs> I mean, it takes me about a half an hour to completely have a hotel room with my stuff scattered all over the place. So I'm very, very messy. That's a good one. I am too. It's a problem. Is your husband neat? No, he's also messy. But oh, he... that's bad. My husband's neat. Oh. Both of my husbands were pretty neat. Thank God. Oof. I wish I had a... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe then, I'd, then I would have to get my shit together if I had a neat husband. Yeah. Now we're just like both. We rely on our nanny <laughs> to just keep the household together. <laughs> what is a piece of advice that's been extraordinarily helpful to you or that you've come up with on your own that you'd like to give forth? Uh, I would like to give forth this advice, dear <laughs> listeners. Um, I would say that, uh, I would say, you know, especially women want to be liked and they're pleasers. And, you know, I just think... The faster you realize that not everyone's going to like you, the better off you'll be. And I think for me as the youngest child and someone who, of how you know, many? four, who kind of wanted to be popular, popular, <laughs> remember that? I think you can sing too. <laughs> no, I can't really, but I'm in a singing mood. It's at those three cups of coffee. <laughs> but um, I think that, you know, you want to be a nice person and kind to people, but you know, you're not going to be every everybody's jam, as they say, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, and I also think in this day and age, without offending people, you, you know, I'm not into the outrage machine and this constant, you know, people getting affirmation instead of information. We didn't even talk about the news media, which maybe we'll do part two of this podcast. Can we have a part two? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. When someone doesn't show up, call me and say, oh my God, Katie, <laughs> you remember you told me, help a sister out. But I think that sometimes, you know, you just have to, to stand up for what you believe. But I also think you have to do it with an open heart and gentle persuasion. And you have to listen to other people and value their opinion or at least hear them 
And I think that's part of the problem in our society. Nobody is talking to each other or listening or having a reasonable conversation. It's all so highly charged and it's so hard to do. But to say, tell me why you feel that way. And, you know, does it, this is what bothers me. Does that bother you? You know, I just think that this bifurcation of the culture, you know, I think exacerbated by the media landscape is really, is really a sad turn of events for our country. Totally. Wah, wah. We can't note, we enjoy can't your let, day. Wait, hi, have a great day. <laughs> Hope your is afternoon there, is filled with bliss. Is there any? <laughs> is there anything else we can talk about before we end on that, or um, can we just tell me something you're excited about? Um, well, my daughter's getting married. Okay, that's very exciting. I'm really excited. I have two great girls. I'm so proud of them. You know why? Because they're nice. That's awesome. They're they're really nice, grounded girls and care about the world around them. And they're my life. And then I have an incredible stepdaughter named Allie. And then I have an incredible stepson named Henry. So it's so nice. You know, John's parents are still alive and I love them madly. Herbie is the ski instructor in Aspen. I remember you told me about this. Yeah, and Paula is this super intellectually exhausting, sophisticated, really curious about the world, beautiful woman. So I feel so happy that I have inherited this extraordinary family. It's so nice. But getting back to Ellie, she's getting married next summer, and I'm just so happy for her. We're going to go wedding gown shopping, wedding dress, whatever you call them, and... um, It's just going to be really, really fun. We're having a little engagement party for Mark, her fiance, his family, and our family out east next Saturday. Nice. I don't know when this runs. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up from Quag. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But it's just going to be, it's just nice. And it's, you know, I love weddings because they're such happy occasions. Yeah. I love weddings and graduations. Totally. You know, because it's really important, everyone, to celebrate the good things. And to really take stock and to say, wow, this is such a happy event. And I don't know, really, really soak it in because there's so much to worry about and wring, you know, wring your hands over. So I'm I'm really trying to appreciate and accentuate the positive. Now that you can take with you on your day. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. I could do this for hours. Fun being with you. You too. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithms. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at RM Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. Thank you again, and you will hear from me next week.